What, has this thing appeared again tonight? I have seen nothing. Horatio says tis but our fantasy, and will not let belief take hold of him, touching this dreadful sight twice seen of us. Therefore I have entreated him along, with us to watch the minutes of this night, that if again this apparition come, he may approve our eyes and speak to it. And I'm Zach Powers. And this is Stage of Fools. The unofficial Royals podcast. Today we'll be discussing Season 2, Episode 4, What, Has This Thing Appeared Again Tonight? A convalescent Cyrus, nursed by Violet, grows increasingly insecure about his legacy as Helena prepares to unveil a memorial to Simon. Liam intervenes to save the memorial. Eleanor swears off men and grows closer to Mandy, who has a secret of her own. The results of Maribel's cosmetic surgery are revealed. Ted searches for answers regarding the domino symbol. I did it. I got through the title, everybody. Listeners, did you hear that? I made it through that unbelievably <laughs> long-ass title week, without breaking. Every week it's While Zach laughed at me. It's incrementally harder every week. Like, we do this intro where it's split up and it's supposed to be somewhat even, but it's not even close. And it just gets worse and worse every time. Because it takes you a full 15 seconds to say the title of the episode. It's definitely starting to feel like a punchline. Yeah. Um, I have nothing else to say about that, except that this title made me excited that we were going to get some Ghost Simon, mm. and instead we got Ghost Ophelia's mom, who probably has a name that Maybe, we don't hopefully. know, because I don't know. God forbid we look anything up. Um, and she doesn't do anything besides stand around, probably giving them ex an excuse to use the quote for the title and to make things vaguely more sinister. Yeah. But we'll get to all of that in due time, yes. as the plot does definitely thicken, as it does week by week. The good news is that we are past season two, episode three. It's in the rear view. No more Nick. No more incredibly dull exclusively romance storylines we've wrapped up that particular that particular uh, set for the time being at least no we had exclusively love last week and now we've got exclusively lust this week oh see what yeah. i did there mm -hmm. a little, because a little conspiracy a little conspiracy in there i guess <laughs> anyway this episode just struck me as one that's kind of also about relationships but it was even more sexualized episode of the show than usual yeah. which is really saying something yeah. considering some of the stuff that went down in season one between jasper and eleanor and the thing that i felt like was a recurring theme on this show was characters just having moments that seemed so intensely out of character for that individual yeah i agree with you there's one of those moments that i thought really worked um, and, but the majority did not. We begin, a good omen, we begin with Cyrus, um, who is still sick 
from his surgery, apparently. He wakes up to find that that one maid, Violet, has been all night by his bedside, and she's got all this, <laughs> she's got a whole spread laid out for him. But she didn't hide the scotch, which was a problem. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, if she knew Cyrus at all, that would be That was your first one. mistake. <laughs> um, because that is the first thing he does, waking up in the morning, the day after his surgery. Uh, you gotta give it to Cyrus. He immediately goes for the scotch. It bothered me how much women were infantilized in this episode, particularly Cyrus's love interest, the maid Violet, mm -hmm. who, I mean, if she were a love interest for Liam, we'd be like, this girl seems very young. You know what I mean? Right. Like, she seems incredibly youthful and childlike, and she says some big word, and she's like, isn't it funny when you say it out loud and she's just like repeating it over and over while she bounces on her mm -hmm. knees on this couch and you know she's playing her game on the phone and stuff and there's another character who this happens to later and Violet in addition to being so youthful and childlike is also one of the most sexualized characters in this episode and this season and it struck me as really creepy and not cool when you think about that the as far as we can tell the target audience for this show is probably very young women yeah she's also somewhat motherly to him i guess you could argue because she's constantly taking care of him in his sickness and giving him food especially pomegranate juice which she seems to be a huge fan of i would say in the royals traditional gender roles worldview that's exactly what all men want is some hot young girl to mother you and you know do sexual favors for you and be a maid i'm not saying that is what men want i'm saying that's, that's what in, mark in schwann royals, thinks men yes. want yeah in this the royals mark universe schwann that's perfect exactly projecting his exactly. showrunners bias onto all of <laughs> don't his. blame me blame mark schwann yeah. That should be my new motto. <laughs> Do this thing. And I took a note of it that it was very, very, yeah, it was very childish and sort of jubilant when she was talking about, I think the word is cruciferous. She keeps repeating uh, because it's fun to say, quote unquote, uh, eventually coaxing Cyrus into saying it himself. He seems charmed by it. And everything in the world tells me this kind of behavior would be something Cyrus despises openly. Also, she brings up her dad a lot. Right. Her dad had cancer, and he was stubborn too. That's the first thing she says to him when she wakes him up in the morning. And then there's that age gap too. Yeah, there's some weird stuff going on in this relationship, I guess. I mean, Violet's going to stick around for a while now, so I feel like it's worthwhile to give her this amount of attention. Um... I mean, she and Prudence have been the only ones to rise from the rabble of maids slash prostitutes. Yeah. <laughs> so I hate to criticize women for seeming youthful and for having, you know, youthful voices. Because, I mean, come on, look at who you're talking to. I get that all the time. But it, it felt like a put on, almost like she was doing a little mm. girl voice at times. And it was just, it was just very bizarre because, I mean, spoiler alert, she strips later on in this episode. So the dichotomy there was something. Else. Violet leaves for the time being and Cyrus catches on the news. Helena is preparing to unveil the memorial to Simon, whom she describes as one of, if not the greatest ever person to lead the country of England, which I think is quite a claim on her part, considering the long history of that nation. That line left me a little bit speechless because, I mean, I love Simon, but right off the top of my head, 
Queen Elizabeth the first and Queen Victoria right there. I mean, boom, that's two easy ones. And that's not even getting into the Kings or the legendary figures like King Arthur, for example. Um, so it was, that line really struck me. I wrote that down too. One of the greatest rulers of all time. That said, they act like unveiling the monument to him is a controversial decision. Even if he weren't a political figure, I think he would have merit deserving of a monument as like a humanitarian and his family has the money so it's a very tasteful memorial you know i'm guessing it's being financed by the palace which yes that's taxpayer money but it's still it's not like they're spending it on like you know lingerie and cocaine like Like usual usual, and prostitute maids the show acts like the decision to make a memorial to a very recently deceased popular ruler is somehow controversial but that doesn't make any sense to me it kind of does it doesn't seem like any of the people are against the monument the only person who really dislikes it is 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 cyrus that's that's true but cyrus makes the claim to the people that there's a large contingent of people that don't want this i'm not saying that's true i'm saying even as thin excuses go that's very thin yes i think the way that they talk that's pure the way they act like on the news and stuff with the unveiling and helen to talk about it it's like Will she get to unveil it or not? Will she succeed? You know? I don't know why the question is, will she get to unveil it? Because it's it's done. Like, what yeah. are you going to do? It's built. Just, like, leave it covered? Knock it down with a car? What are you going to do? Yeah. We'll get there. Um, but, um, but before we get to Cyrus and the memorial and all that fun stuff, the soccer stadium scene, the football oh, stadium scene, terrible. I should say. Terrible. The um, scene was... Maybe the worst scene in an episode that had a lot of clunkers. Yeah, it's not good. Um, So Liam, meanwhile, is just... He doesn't really do much for the first half of this episode, but he's hanging out at the palace, and his friends text him from four feet away from him because (laughs) he gets this text, and he's like, I can't hang out with them today. I'm too hungover. And he turns the corner, and his friends are literally standing there. So I guess... Just as a fun thing. It's better than the time they kidnapped him and threatened to yeah, rape him. That's true. It is. They're getting better at their at their. Uh... I wish that was a joke, but it's real. Yeah, they go to this football stadium, and Liam's like, "Wow, it's amazing that we get to use the whole stadium to play football." And it's like. <laughs> Aren't you a prince? Don't you get to do stuff like this all the time? Like, not that he should be totally jaded, I mean, but I didn't understand why he was as wide-eyed about it as well, he was. Demonstrably show, so he does, yeah. One of his friends who are brothers by this, you know, faux Mick Jagger mm-hmm. rock star says, like, oh, our father bought a share in it and it has its perks. And Jasper, in his full bodyguard suit, sunglasses and earpiece, gets into the goal to defend it and just like one of the boys kicks a ball at him really hard and obviously the ball is thrown in from another <laughs> shot by a PA as Jasper bats it away with his hand. Yeah, and it's supposed to be like look how badass and well coordinated Jasper is. He's he doesn't even have to sweat at being a goalkeeper if he wanted to play professional soccer. He could do it in a heartbeat. His punching ability translates so well to other arenas of his life. With his feet, he's useless, but he's got punches with the strength of kicks. Moving his hands to different places quickly is really Jasper's skill set. So their traits are, one of them loves business, so he's basically Patrick Bateman. (laughs) And the other one is is gay. Like, that's the only... (laughs) 
the only character trait to define this person. How dare you? That's not even true. They have two other distinct traits. Oh? The business one has brown hair, and the gay one has blonde hair. Of course. You're so narrow-minded. Wow. Yeah, how could I forget? So the the one who is the gay one uh, decides to tend goal for a moment. Because he thinks he can do what Jasper did because he thinks it's easy. Right. He makes that very clear. As is this character's want, he behaves like a arc gay stereotype and is like, don't, like, warning them not to kick it at his face and, like, when they do kick it towards the goal, he, like, I will destroy you via social media. I will destroy you via social media, he threatens. He says that his <laughs> That's name... something I could threaten. <laughs> his name is no longer Ivan, it's Ivan, because he changed it. There's a lot of, you know, ducking and cowering like George Michael for Arrested Development. When he has anything thrown at him, he turns his back and covers his face. And then he's like, I hate this game, and tosses off his gloves. But as, And this is just... You say as, it first, because I'm about to go off. As soon as he says, I hate this game, Jasper, who previously decided to play in his full suit, suddenly decides to remove his shirt... And they Pop cu- it off. They cut back to Ivan, who says, I love this game. <laughs> uh, mind changed. He has seen a man shirtless. Because he is gay, you may remember from earlier, this character is gay. Cyrus is always a very campy gay man when he ch- chooses to express his lust for men. I mean, Cyrus is definitely bisexual. Like, mm-hmm. there's not a doubt that he's attracted to women for more than just power. Yeah. But if the show ever earned any goodwill with me by giving Cyrus any sort of nuance and not making his sexuality like a thing that's supposed to like gross us out or freak us out or make him seem more evil it frittered away all that goodwill in this episode between Ivan slash Yvonne and uh, the Mandy and Eleanor storyline which on the surface sounds like a great idea Eleanor being bisexual is Not a thing I have a problem with in the world. How the storyline plays out, which is like what I imagine the introduction to lesbian porn made for straight men is like, is another matter entirely. Uh, We're about to get into this plot, but spoiler alert, women don't spend a lot of time complimenting each other's waxes. Yeah. Regardless of their sexual preference. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't happen. There was a lot of just like, oh, we're just girls who just like enjoy each other's bodies in this episode. Like, we're just straight girls who are just like saying no to guys and like being adventurous. It it didn't feel like Eleanor was discovering her sexuality. She, as we'll get to in a minute, says no to guys and then... Mm. Yeah, I I felt, I I didn't like the way... This storyline was handled either, and we'll get to it as we dig deeper into it, but I guess we should start on it, at the very least, which is to say, Eleanor, after having broken up with Beck, Beckwith, as he is referred to by uh, James in this episode, who is surprisingly, for once, kind of a competent bodyguard? I'm telling you, James is the new Marcus. Moral meets competent. There can only be one. Yeah, yeah. He passed down the mantle. He would not be on the show if Marcus were still on the show, because Jasper would be with Eleanor. He is not just the new Marcus. He is James, the new dad. I forgot. How could I forget? The first scene of him and Eleanor is him giving her some advice that she needs to... Eventually, it comes down to either give up men or give up drugs for a while. Really, she probably should do both. 
I will say, though, if you're trying to convince, you know, a true addict, which Eleanor definitely is, not just to drugs, but she is a sex addict, it seems. She uses sex to cope with Mm -hmm. traumatic situations. She doesn't always use it, like, for pleasure or for intimacy or even for fun. It's not a terrible idea. Yeah. If you can't go off the drugs cold turkey to at least try to cut back on the sex, the casual sex. Um, You know, so I didn't think that was the worst advice do i wish she had picked drugs in that equation as the thing to cut out honestly yeah but what are you gonna do so she she agrees to hill that she'll swear off men and she meets up with her new friend mandy who she met at the club when she sexed back to sleep on their country retreat and then ran off to go to the club she met this girl and this girl basically convinced her to break up with her boyfriend so she's at the i could not tell which museum this was and well, i refers i think to it's it. the british library i don't know museum yeah. uh, i i but i'm not sure it might be the british museum it's been a while since i've been to london so i couldn't say they were definitely end. on location in london because they were definitely really at the um albert memorial and i recognized a couple of the moments they were at museums but i couldn't mandy. feel bad i have to do a little oh, i should have done some research but it's verboten so we'll never know mandy just refers to it as quote the museum of old shit because of course mandy is a charmer she is also brought tequila to the museum i noticed she's also wearing a denim diaper to the museum yeah. she's wearing shorts so short that they're not shorts i'm not trying to slut shame her women should wear whatever they want but on the other hand you're at a museum girl you're gonna be cold and it's just like ridiculous no one wears like an outfit like they're gonna be in the background of a rap video to a stodgy old museum while they're looking at dinosaur bones it was hilarious when she walked up to eleanor and she just wasn't wearing bottoms basically i find it slightly unbelievable this character who is apparently at this museum alone would go to a museum by herself maybe she's trying to intrigue eleanor with her quirkiness that could be you know it could be she's kind of manic pixie dream she was just betting on eleanor deciding to text her that morning nope she, oh you're right because eleanor, she, did eleanor text even her first. goes through her phone book and as a setup for something that happens later all of right. the all of now the, i remember all of the contacts are like abs in paris or hung in la or freaky in new york <laughs> like it's all clearly guys that she's hooked of up course. with that are described by various uh physical or sexual attributes she meets her at the museum she has hill in tow and then of course she immediately ditches him they go to the bathroom and climb out the bathroom window together mm-hmm. and this is what i was talking about when i meant that it sounds like the intro to a porn that's made for straight sure. men about two women together. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like, Eleanor is like, don't look at my skirt. And then Mandy does. And they're like talking about the situation. Mm-hmm. And just like, it's all very like coy and stuff. And obviously they're supposed to be flirting with each other because they get together later in the episode. But it just read as like very, very fake and cheesy. It was a, kind of funny in that respect. But also I felt kind of like a little bit weirded out because the show usually I feel comf- like comforted if anything by the fact that it seems like it's 
uh, for women. Mm-hmm. But this just like we took a hard left turn into the male gaze this episode. Good grief. It was crazy. March one, like we said, letting his innermost secrets and, and perhaps fetishes fly a little bit in this particular episode. <laughs> so it would seem. So it would seem. But yeah, they they sneak out of this window. They discuss their waxes. Eleanor, again, not wearing not wearing underwear to the museum. We mentioned Mandy's inappropriate museum attire, but Eleanor, very short skirt, no underwear to the museum. I mean, they're both, their outfits are insane. They both look like they're wearing, like, I, I, I feel bad because I it's really not for me to, like, critique how women dress, but I feel like the costumer just put them in the most insanely inappropriate outfits that no woman would want to wear a mini skirt that barely covers your ass that on top of that is slit all the way up the hip. Yeah. Why would you want to wear that out and about with sneakers and a baseball cap? That's what I don't understand. That's what I don't understand. There's totally a time and a place to wear those outfits. Like, if you're at the club, like, if they had been wearing those outfits to the club instead of Eleanor's tutu and Mandy's latex dress, that would have made Mm -hmm. a million times more sense just to be wearing shorts and a skirt. Very strange. I really actually like the costume design in this show, but this was just like... It was obviously meant to fetishize them. I mean, they were dressed like the pussycat dolls, for God's sake. But so they run off together away from James, or so they think. Yes. Yeah. Surprise. I assumed they had because I have come to expect the security on this show to be just the worst. We had no reason to believe that they hadn't actually escaped him, especially because James purposely left Eleanor when she went to that boat party with Beck and Jasper. True. So yeah. he purposely stayed on shore. So yeah, yeah, not a good call. Cyrus is still grappling with the um, the legacy that Simon has left behind, having torn the portrait off the wall earlier after seeing that news report about the memorial he is now like frantically i assume he's done cocaine by now sorting these bills in his room privately between the ones that have his face and the ones that have simon's face on them um like a crazy person and demanding that all of the bills with simon's face not in the palace but in the entire country are burned like the spinning wheels in Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> because that won't have any negative effects on circulation, I'm sure. No, yeah. There's no point even going into that because, as we know, the Royals universe doesn't operate how real government or economics or business or anything works, how art works or how music works yeah. or how fashion works. Right. Oh, for sure. Or how um, travel works between two nations. Um, or pregnancy. Yeah, or, or yeah, especially time. I, they're trying to hammer home the point, essentially, that Cyrus is very much insecure about being in the shadow of Simon, particularly in this episode. They've been hammering that home the entire show. Right. I like how they really dial it up in this episode like we didn't get it when Cyrus leveled a shotgun at Simon's head. You gotta make sure for the big payoff at the end. Meanwhile, his daughters uh, have their own issues um it's time for maribel's i guess bandages to finally come off her mummy wrappings yes her mommy goodnight mommy cosplay uh, is finally gonna go and so penelope does the honors for her and it's actually weird because before she does maribel's like promise me that we'll still be friends after even if i look horrible and 
What? And this is a a side of the relationship between (sighs) these two characters that has never once existed. No. In season one, they were always rivals who were sniping at each other, who was sort of like begrudging allies because no one else would give them the time of day. They only hung out together because they were twins. They were thrown together like by circumstance more than by actual amiability. The circumstance of being in the same womb at some yeah, point. Yeah. yeah, they were thrown together by circumstance. And the circumstance of the fact that no one else could tolerate them even for a second and they could lightly... By birth. Yeah, and they yes. could lightly tolerate each other at least. And sometimes they worked together but there was none of this like, you were always the pretty one yeah. and you still are. Yeah, nothing. Oh. Nothing like that. It's an aspect of the character that did not exist. After Robert's death, they saw their cousins, who were Robert's siblings, and all they could talk about was the smell of their own vaginas. Yeah. There is an episode in the first season where one of them openly fantasizes about if the other one were dead so she could be queen. It makes absolutely no sense. But anyway... (sighs) So... Penelope starts to unwrap the bandages off Marable's face. If anything good has come of this, I now know their names, and I know which one is which. Right, okay. And so she gets a certain amount of the bandages off her face, and the back of Maribel's head is to the camera, you know, therefore to us, the audience. And Penelope reacts with horror of some kind and runs out of the room. And Maribel's like, what's wrong with me? Do I look like Cher? And she starts looking for a reflective surface. And as she looks for a reflective surface, the show does a bunch of gags to keep you from seeing her face. Her back is always to us. Yeah, like she jumps behind a lampshade. Yeah, she's behind a lampshade at one point. And then when she finally finds some reflective, it's a tray. And she's holding up the tray so that right when she comes out from behind the lampshade, the tray covers her face. And we hear her go, oh, my God. <laughs> and that's it. Um, but also, I don't know if it was before this or I think it was. We see Maribel looking at her new body and talking about it and saying, like, she asked for Kate Upton's Kate breasts. Upton's breasts. Kate Beckinsale's butt. And then a mixture between Grace Kelly and Marilyn Monroe for the face? I guess so. Um, She looks more like Rita Hayworth. She actually looks almost exactly like Rita Hayworth. It's kind of weird. But anyway, um, they do like a slow pan over her body with her like feeling herself up very obviously. This is one of those male gaze things. And this character was not like a little girl before. Like, yes, she had never had sex and they made a joke out of that. But she wasn't like... This child talking like this, like, oh, I just want to be pretty. It was, it is just, it's creepy. It's creepy. It's somehow creepier than her goodnight mommy mask, (laughs) which I didn't think was possible. But here we are. The entire, uh, like, they replaced this character and I don't, I guess I don't know what the thinking was in having them do it this way on on much of any, I guess, I mean, obviously it was supposed to be, a funny storyline, I guess. I I want to almost give them the credit of having it be tongue in cheek. Yeah. You know, the woman who played Maribel, who's I think pretty a pretty busy working actor in Britain, said, uh, I don't want to do this anymore or you know, she wasn't under contract and they lost her and they knew they were gonna have to recast and so they said, you know, Let's hang a lantern on it and make it as stupid as possible by having her undergo plastic surgery and get a voice transplant. But I think in giving her a different personality, they went too far. Mm -hmm. 
because now we're in a realm where things are just very, very bizarre. Yeah, like, and it's not like a winking joke of like, she looks totally different. Like, she is, is different. a, different, a different character. character. Yes. Yeah, there's no connective tissue besides her sister. I just feel bad for the actress playing Penelope because I think that she's been doing a very consistent job. But her role has completely changed from being one of a comedic duo to being arguably the straight man to a character whose jokes are all about how stupid and pretty she is. It's pretty rough. I think we should just polish off the Penelope and Maribel stuff for this episode right now. Instead, Can of we please? I'm t- it's like we've said before, we just need a little bit of them each episode, never a lot at once. So the other thing is they still have this thing where Moorfield, for reasons that don't really make sense, is being commissioned to seduce the two of them. Because it will give Queen Helena an advantage somehow. I finally figured it out. I finally figured it out. And it didn't take me looking up any recaps what he's supposed to be doing. Okay. He's supposed to be gathering evidence that they're unfit to rule. He's just pretending to be interested in them. Uh, okay. He's supposed to be gathering texts. Photos, oh, right. there was conversations, that they, yeah. evidence that they're unfit to rule so that Helena can be next in succession. Okay. That's what it is. But I only got this. This is the second time, second or third time I've watched this episode. And it took me this far into the season. And we have a podcast about it. Like, mm-hmm. we literally pay more attention to this show than anyone. So that just goes to show what a bad job the show did of explaining right. it last well, season and this season. It was very loosely put in but, at best. This storyline is, to be fair... Definitely completely irrelevant. It's... It's pointless. Yeah. It's just to give Penelope and Maribel something to chew on. But, um... So he he's fed up and he says he's not... He can't do it anymore. He can't seduce them. They're too strange and bizarre. And, you know, one of them's wrapped in bandages and the other one sends him strange selfies in the middle of the night or something like that. And he's done. So, of course... <laughs> classic comedy bit. Uh... He comes out of the room, and we finally see the new Maribel, who is not only an entirely new body, but an entirely new person. Uh, apparently, approximately, I don't know, like, also seven years old? Maybe she just took the brain of a seven-year-old as part of this procedure? Because she's so different, it's almost like she comes off as developmentally disabled there's no other way to put it like it's eerie she's like a child in an adult's hyper sexualized body wearing this pink mini dress but like bouncing around skipping like a little girl it's incredibly uncomfortable she just appears out of nowhere and is like this is the new me i hope you still like me and then she literally skips away These women are so abhorrent to him and he's so easily swayed in a moment because in the world of the royals, a woman's personality really doesn't matter as long as she's good looking. I mean, in terms of attractiveness factor. Yes. Yes. Um, As we say, the royals is not exactly friendly to anybody who is not extraordinarily attractive. Uh, They tend to not get a lot of a lot of credit on this show i honestly believe that the show considers itself to be pro-women if not feminist pro-women because you have your helena's you have your eleanor's and i'm sure the show sees 
these characters as strong women in spite of the fact that they're both addicts. Or that prime uh, minister you have woman. The prime minister, you have, Oph- I mean, Ophelia and her quote-unquote standing up for herself. I really believe that the show sees itself as pro-women, but it's not because the sexual situations range from bland to horrifying. Right. There's nothing positive to be offered from a sexual relationship between characters of the same sex or different sex on the show. Yeah. Um, like, what do you think is, I mean, I guess it's Liam and Ophelia. I was best, about to ask you what you thought the healthiest relationship probably, on yeah, the show. Yeah. yeah. It's gotta be. And they broke up every other episode. No, they did. They did. Um, <gasps> Wait, Zach, is it, is it Ophelia and Nick? Well, maybe we don't know much about their, <gasps> They're still together, but she blew him off to wash her hair. Oh, man. Which is so cold. Nick is just such not a person. It almost feels like a relationship between a human being and an object. I guess it is. Yikes. Um, That is a condemnation. Yeah. I mean, Moorfield is in this episode a little more to pop off to Cyrus about how he doesn't like the monarchy and how he thinks Cyrus is a bad ruler. But it's like, yeah, yeah, we get it. Mm -hmm. Move along. He's supposed to represent... Any legitimate claim that Cyrus has that some people don't want this monument, but it's very obvious that it's all bullshit. And even in his way, Moorfield seems to have some modicum of respect for Simon because he goes out of his way to be smug and brag like, well, your brother listened to me to Cyrus. Yeah. It's like, Moorfield, you asshole. You don't know how good you had it. You gave Simon so much shit and look what happened, you dick. Nobody really appreciates Simon and nobody seems to realize that Cyrus is so very different. It's just the same thing as when uh, they did the kidnapping thing for the members of parliament and everyone was still excited even though it is Cyrus's reign now. You should not be amped. I mean, I don't want to get political, but just in terms of like level of chill, this would be like us going from Obama to Trump and everyone in America being like, oh, more of the same, the establishment. You know what I mean? (laughs) This one's exactly like the last one. Like, no, they are as different as night and day in terms of like level of intensity and also a level of hatred for commoners. Absolutely. For the record, I would rather live in Cyrus's England than Trump's America. Oh, yeah, for sure. He tells Moorfield of Penelope and Maribel, quote, I couldn't care less about those drunken mistakes. And I was like, whoa, until you get your paws on that prudence, baby, they're the only heirs you have. Yeah. I mean, I just, he wants so badly for the people to, if not like him, then at least revere him in some way. You would think he would have some sort of emotion about how the people should feel towards Penelope and Maribel. It doesn't make sense to me that he's so laissez-faire when he seems so concerned about image in other respects. But he gives no thought to how his daughters are perceived by the public, which if we're to give any credence to the one-off journalist character in 2.1, they're very poorly received and everyone knows that they're morons. I just don't think there's any getting around that except for, I don't know, if their personalities were to completely change one day, maybe that would do the trick. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. She went from one negative personality to another yeah. with almost no traits overlapping. <laughs> that's true. Cyrus decides that the best thing to do in his situation is have a speech at the monument where he's just like, guess what? We're canceling the unveiling of this monument because Simon wanted to end the monarchy. 
and to respect those wishes, we shouldn't have monuments to the monarchy anymore. That's crazy. It's insane. Mostly because, oh, my voice keeps breaking. I'm sorry, listeners. Um, <laughs> the monument actually really has nothing to do with monarchy, though. They call him the father of the country, which is sort of king-like, but I think it's meant to be more symbolic in this instance because the image that they chose to engrave on these panes of glass that when you look through them it creates a singular image is Simon opening up his arms to the little boy to run into them. Mm. I actually missed that. So yeah, I'm not sure if it's um if it's an actual engraving of an image from the series premiere. I couldn't really tell of that little boy at Robert's funeral mm -hmm. who Simon picks up out of the crowd or if it was supposed to be one of his sons because it was just very hard to tell, but that's the basic image is Simon down on one knee holding out his arms and a little boy running into his arms, which is very fitting for Simon and very lovely. It's such a non-controversial monument and so non-monarchist that it's very bizarre. Well, I guess if you were really non-monarchist, you could argue it was like romanticizing them as a paternal figure, but Simon and, was extremely paternal and anti-monarchy. Well... To be fair, the public has not seen the monument yet, so they have no idea <laughs> right. how Even better. pro or anti-monarchist is. It is, oh, good this Lord. is, again, something I kind of mentioned earlier that just confuses me because this memorial, this monument is done. Like it's built and it's just got a sheet over it, basically. <laughs> it's got like a, a parachute over yeah, it. Yeah, pretty much. And so now Cyrus's plan is to just have this parachute, this drape in the middle of a park forever, never unveiled. I'm guessing he was planning on having a demolition team come, but then he decides to take matters into his own hands well, before before they can yeah, come in. He has a bit of a nervous breakdown as time goes on. There's a confrontation between Cyrus and Helena. Mm -hmm. Helena is extremely furious with Cyrus. Cyrus looks amazing. He's wearing a turtleneck under a blazer. Yeah. Just wanted to throw that out there. He wears that a lot this season. He's going for like a super spy look. Uh -huh, sort of. And they come kind of have like a tantrum at each other it sort of looks like two little kid siblings yelling at each other alternately though they're both sort of channeling faye dunaway and mommy dearest <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. cyrus goes why would you conspire to have me eliminated from my throne and he like drags out those two words and it's like the tone of voice he's using is exactly <laughs> no wire hangers and then Helena joins in, and for once, Elizabeth Hurley manages to get up to close to Jake Mascal's yeah. intensity. It was probably one of my favorite Helena scenes, because they were just, like, in each other's faces, Screaming, snarling at yeah. each other. It was like a full-on, like, to coin a term, like a cat fight. More, more than anything we've maybe ever seen on the show. Yeah, it was... It was Quite a, quite a debate, quite an argument. That they they've had. been cold with each other, but they've never just completely... Let go like, on each other, yeah. Yeah, just like gone off. Yeah. Loved it. Cyrus uh, accuses her of trying to rehabilitate herself with the monument, rehabilitate her image after the paternity thing. My favorite line from the argument was really dumb line, but it made me laugh because it's so silly. Uh, is when he yells at her, It's no wonder you made it out of glass. It's all so transparent. 
Just the worst. I noticed that too. It was such a bad, such, such a, a bad, life. bad burn. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Cyrus, it was fantastic. I feel like Cyrus was a little off his game for a lot of this episode. He was like really snappish and sniping this episode in like a cranky way as opposed to like a Clever, sardonic yeah. way. Mm-hmm. But it kind of worked with the mood he was He's in. Having a and I actually so. like his terrible insults. I really loved that. It was so like, it was so bad. But um, back at the unveiling of the monument, Liam comes through the mm-hmm. crowd. He's wearing a white shirt that's very unbuttoned yeah. and, and jeans. And Jasper is following him and they're walking through the crowd. And Liam is like basically walking like a normal person or at least a normal politician. Jasper is walking like he's on the runway. Tom Austin <laughs> plays Jasper. Is a former Burberry model. Oh, okay. And he is like glaring at the crowd from side to side like sauntering along like it was a very obvious moment where the actor's personality was coming through instead of the character but of course he's scowling and pouting and i was just like oh my god your burberry days are completely showing Mm -hmm. so liam gives this speech this gushing speech about his father and he says you know basically what you expect about like respecting his father's views and about how respecting Cyrus's views and how he can be anti-monarchy sometimes too, but they all need to come together. You know, yeah, yeah it was yeah. supposed to be like, and then, but there was, but there was one line in the speech that I loved. He deserves this monument. He deserves a thousand monuments, <laughs> a thousand monuments. The speech was supposed to be, like, super inspiring. There's even a shot of Liam near the end where it, like, kind of goes in slow motion while he has his arm up, like, trying to make him into a hero. The last one of Liam is Liam pumping his fist in the air, and they just barely put it in slow motion, just enough so that you're like, this is really weird. <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to be, like, super, it's like, it's supposed to be a Bill Pullman and Independence Day moment, I think, this speech. It's but supposed it's to be pretty, touching. It's pretty, it's pretty generic i think overall the speech he like one of the lines is he really believed in the great in great britain which is like a oh. it's a bumper sticker like it's terrible. it's terrible but the crowd is on his side this is classic liam this is every single inspiring speech he's ever had like the one in the village where he apparently took some free shoes off some kid and yeah. acted like he was doing that kid a favor yeah i mean he's the most generic political figure of all time yeah. Yeah, he's supposed to be inspiring. He's like, just... I think everyone should have things. Yeah. But if rich people have more things, that's okay, too. Like, he's just, like, very really nothing opinion. Except for he wants no. to get his father's killer at some point. He loves his dad. Except for dad. Yeah. He's running on a pro-dad platform. Robert, basically, his program, his, his uh, platform is, my brother and my dad were both better than me at this, but I'll do. Um... <laughs> To be fair, Hamlet also ran on a pro-dad platform pretty much. Yeah. Uh, But but he doesn't need to campaign. He's not running for anything. He He just is a prince. People seem to love him, though. Uh, He manages to get the monument unveiled. He convinces the officers at the scene, this has to happen for the good of Britain, I guess. And they unveil the monument. It's worth their jobs, I guess, because Cyrus is going to fire them. I hope those guards enjoyed their last day having, uh, having jobs because they're definitely unemployed now. Cyrus is vitriolic at this turn of events uh he's taking his anger out on anybody he takes it out on violet a little bit he's like i saw you grabbing at the money earlier i know you're just like everybody else you're just using me and then she's like i wasn't i grabbed all the money and i stacked it up for you and i put all the simon bills face down so you don't have to look at them 
How romantic. Ugh. <laughs> I can't stand these two. This is Cyrus's worst plot. Just saying it right now because we're going to be talking For about a it a lot. Of episodes at least, yeah. Hands down, Cyrus's worst plot of all time. And I'm not so boring. Sure, it's the same scene, but I just think it probably is a good idea to run through the Cyrus storyline. But. Um, even more than the Maribel thing, I'm guessing this is probably the most. This is the most male gazy scene in the uh, in the particular episode yeah. by quite a by quite a stretch. Because after a bit of um, standoffishness between the two, Violet lets on that she's attracted to Cyrus, and he's like, "Well, I have cancer. Probably nothing works down there anyway." And she immediately just takes off her French maid outfit, underneath which is like this lingerie that I, I kind of wonder if it's standard issue for the maids slash prostitutes there. Wasn't it like sequined or something? I wasn't paying very good attention. I mean, it was certainly kind of fancy and like very skimpy. They're all wearing those stockings though, which let me tell you, if you're like scrubbing floors, that's not going to fly. I feel like there's a different night staff that does that all the actual cleaning that like comes out only when I guess people so. are asleep. These girls are pretty much there to hold trays of drinks and cocaine pretty much yeah i don't know how much more there is to say about that cyrus has a love interest now yeah she's a lot less interesting than holloway um yeah. and a lot less bitchy than holloway yeah. so that's a huge problem he for seems me to genuinely like her more than holloway for some reason she seems to be the embodiment of everything cyrus dislikes I, maybe I the agree. show is going yeah. for an opposites attract thing but he's always disliked sentimentality mm-hmm. Nostalgia. I would say childishness pity, is not something Cyrus companionship, probably would like. Childishness, naivete, optimism. Yeah. Like, shall I go on? So it's just, it doesn't really read as true to his character. The actor sells it, but that's the only thing that is holding this together. Cyrus, uh, after this, runs off to see Prudence to verify. Who's 11 months pregnant. Yes, who's 14 months pregnant at this point. <laughs> um, to verify that she's absolutely sure that the child is a boy. So I think he's giving consideration to his legacy in that regard. She, she could definitely know the gender through ultrasound at this yeah. point. I mean, it should have been born five months ago. So she probably... Yeah, exactly. And after that, he gets extremely drunk while sitting in his car, staring at Simon's memorial. There are no bodyguards around. Once again, palace security is a joke. And eventually he just turns on the car and plows through the memorial. And a bunch of bystanders come by and are like exclaiming at the sight of this car that just destroyed <laughs> the memorial. And there's one in particular who sees him stumble out of the car and in the worst line reading ever is like, he's drunk, call the authorities. <laughs> It's the worst. And Cyrus go uh, yells all about about at all of them about how they don't like him, but he doesn't have to like them because I'm the king of England, you little bitch. And he takes a drink and he smashes his vodka bottle on the pavement. And as he smashes it, he goes boom, like he's dropping a mic or something. It's great. Totally campy. Definitely the vein they should be continuing in with cyrus none of this romantic shit but unfortunately they're not going to take my advice we get what we get um eleanor and mandy come back to the palace Mm -hmm. and they're hanging out in her room which has like the graffiti and all the drugs that on the table and eleanor confesses to mandy that you know she's a drug user and she was going to give up drugs or men she decided to give up men and mandy for what that's worth interprets that as well 
Uh, you said give up men, but not give up women. So I'm to kiss you now. They kiss, and Eleanor, in what was a really mature move for her that she's about to immediately undo, mm-hmm. says, uh, "You know, I don't really have any friends besides my brother and my family. So I think it would be really nice just to have a friend who I would have fun hanging out with, which is a lovely, healthy idea." Mm-hmm. Doesn't work out for very long, but Mandy accepts it. Eleanor leaves and briefly runs into her mom and brother because everyone in this family steals her weed, which would not fly in my household. All in the very, very set-looking courtyard, looking for Eleanor's weed. They've been using it a lot, and they everyone out there goes there to find Eleanor's hidden weed and smoke it. So the three of them sit on a bench and talk. And it was actually one of my favorite scenes between these three Mm -hmm. characters where I actually believe that they were a family unit. I mean, Elizabeth Hurley isn't our favorite, but I thought she gave a good performance because she was, it was so much more muted than her usual thing. She seemed like to be feeling Simon's death for the first time and like realizing some of the consequences of her marriage and her life. And she said, I'm just tired, and it seemed very sincere. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, she and Alexandra Park, who plays Eleanor, look so alike that it's crazy. So just seeing them sitting together like that, was it was nuts. Yeah. Uh, she does do mostly a good job in this scene. There are She uses she says the line, you'll harsh my buzz, and also the line, give me <laughs> the pot. And the way she delivers both of them makes it seem like Elizabeth Hurley has never once tried marijuana. Like, it's the way George Michael says... I was going to smoke the marijuana like a cigarette in that one episode of Arrested <laughs> Development. It just does not read yeah. at all. But for the most part, it yeah. works pretty well. It's kind of a nice family scene, and it's weird to have a genuine scene with Helena. She also, this seems like a weirdly out of character thing for her to ever say, even high, but she's like, choose love. She advises her children to choose love, and it's like, yeah, what? She's never been about choosing love. Where was choose love when she tried to break up Liam and Ophelia, or when she, according to her, had Jasper go down on her just to break up him and Eleanor? She's literally sabotaged both of her children's arguable love relationships. I'm not going to get into Eleanor and Jasper right now, but you know what I mean. Yeah, just... So many weird moments in this episode that are just so out of character. But the it's weird. the choose love line apparently convinces Eleanor, who goes back to her room. Hill Hill reveals that there. he secretly followed them the entire day. So he is actually competent. Yeah, the show gave us nothing to indicate that, that had happened, but apparently he followed them all day and like saw them when they were laying on the steps of the Prince yeah. Albert Memorial, mm-hmm. talking about how they'll never be good enough for anyone. Mm-hmm. So she goes back to her room and there are all these red candles. Like she's in a vampire's lair. They're like tapers in candelabras. Yep. While she was gone, Mandy apparently lit all these candles. Did she bring took them off from her home? nothing know. shorts and climbed into bed so they could have a platonic hang sesh. Mm-hmm. It's the straightest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Um and Eleanor gets into bed with her platonically. Yeah. Just kidding. And, you know, says that her mom told her to pursue love and pursue happiness, and they kiss and have sex. It's implied because yes. later we see them waking up together, you know, half-dressed, which I was so intrigued at first by the idea of Eleanor being bisexual, and it didn't seem out of character for her, but this storyline is a complete disaster, mostly because Mandy has no discernible character traits besides being, like, coy and smirky. Yeah. Everything she says sounds fake, 
And all of their scenes are like straight girls who are experimenting with women for the hell yes. of it. It doesn't exactly read at all as to me. Like, a deep emotional connection or a sexual awakening or like a sexual discovery. Right. Especially given her response to the attempted kiss just minutes before. Like it yeah. seems so born out of convenience. They have no chemistry. And, and not anything earned or like it doesn't feel the particular relationship does not feel very organic to me mandy after eleanor falls asleep gets up out of bed and in her underwear wanders around the palace until she sees the diamond cursed, the cursed diamond cursed diamond watch in 2016 it is back and jasper walks up to her and is like what are you doing here and she says just finishing what you started baby implying that there's some sort of scheme between them which that that is the ending beat of the episode, I believe. But I want to bring it up now because the show, with this moment and with future episodes involving Eleanor and Mandy, constantly underscores that the real reason that they're both having sex with each other is because they have unfulfilled feelings for Jasper. So it's like truly like they're only in relationship with women because they really want men. Like it's very hmm. not what actual you know female to female relation romantic relationships are like and it was i found it you know pretty obnoxious i wouldn't say offensive because i don't care that much i mean it's not like it's not being hateful it's not trying to be derogatory but it's just it's very narrow-minded and it's very for the sexual the sexual aspect of it it's meant to be like titillating. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good summary of it. Helena is also inspired by her own choose love speech and sends Lucius to give a letter to Alistair Lacey. Great idea. That'll work out so well. The deceased, who was killed last season by a couple of random gunmen sent in by Lucius and Cyrus. Now that is very Shakespearean. Random assassins are always killing major characters yeah. in those plays. I, I I'm do, not being sarcastic. I do wonder what happened to those gunmen. Well... I mean, I guess we find out, but would have happened where they came from. I want to know their backstory. But the only other thing we really have to touch on in this episode before we close it out is there is a little bit of business with Ted. Oh, no. How could I forget? Yeah. No. Fortunately, it's only a few scenes. I can't believe we missed this as we went through. Yeah. That just goes to show. Jasper conscripts Ted to help track down the domino symbol on Liam's necklace. And after he leaves the room, Ted pulls out ominously a card he got from somewhere that has the domino symbol on it, implying he knows more than he is letting on. And his wife's ghost is giving him a lot of knowing looks mm -hmm. and doing nothing else. Nothing else. And he somehow deduces what he has to do with this card is shine a black light on the back of it. And there's an address. He's a super on it. spy. Yeah, he's the best. Obviously, he's the best at security and mysteries. <laughs> um, so he's a regular Miss Those Marvel. who would choose security over mysteries deserve neither. Mm -hmm. So he finds this address to which the ghosts, when he sees the address, the ghost literally says, interesting address, which makes sense later, but at the time is the weirdest line. No, and. And the ghost is wearing this fabulous white formal gown, which it makes sense later that it's um, actually the what she was wearing when she died. But mm -hmm. that's not made clear at first. And I was like, this is a fancy ghost before she was wearing just underwear and just normal lady clothes. Yeah. It's Beetlejuice rules. You have to wear what you were wearing when you died. <laughs> um, but I guess is that true of Beetlejuice. I guess not. He changes a lot of clothes a lot. 
<laughs> I don't know, but Beetlejuice isn't a regular ghost, right? No. Do Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin have to wear? I they definitely wear what they died in. They wear he the wear, same he's thing. wearing that flannel shirt, tucked into khakis, and she's wearing her floral dress, and they still look incredibly fuckable. How is that fair? I don't know. They're wearing like the dorkiest parent clothes of all time. By run, ran off a bridge and drowned, and yet they still look great. I don't know how they do it. Ugh. He goes to this address, and it's this giant hall, and the ghost is there with him, and he has a Vietnam flashback moment <laughs> to the last time he was here and it was with the king big ensemble some shots ring out uh he turns around they, but they shot this flashback so that half of it is half of it is from ted's pov and half of it is above him mm -hmm. and it switches halfway it through i just need to throw that and out the there work, sorry continue i don't think the camera work was particularly great like the pov shots look really stilted and weird and the other it looks like ted's a midget who hits simon right about between right, the shoulder yeah. blades and pushes him <laughs> down when the gunshots ring out he turns around and his yeah. wife's been shot the other interesting thing about this flashback is the only face we see in it is that of ted's wife not even Ted himself is actually we see we see Ted in profile we see you see the back of his head as the camera is lifting up it's definitely not the same actor though are you serious yeah. I thought we saw him no in profile way. at one point that's so funny it's definitely not Simon not or Simon. anyone else because they don't show anyone but it's just funny because so the entire time he's following Simon he's behind him but it looks like he's really short because we're like so low behind Simon mm -hmm. and it's all very blurry and like soft focus he pushes him down again this is all as if we are Ted camera POV then after he turns and his wife is shot, the camera is now above and behind Ted, yes. showing us the back of his head. Very bizarre and jarring and disconcerting. Um, so this scene at the hall has like light projections yeah. on the floor of the domino symbol that are exactly what we used to do in high school theater, you know, like creating a custom yes. gel uh -huh. and putting it in the barn sure. door, you know, metal frame on the light. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was hysterical because you need to like theatrical lighting design the hall for this to happen. It's so funny. It's like lighting cues. It was just so, so stagey and it didn't make any sense. No. And Ted is of course so terrified of it and so bewildered. Oh, what's going but it's on? it's the big domino symbol on, so the, on the main floor of the hall. Once again, the only thing these domino group has done is like some pretty effective marketing for themselves. And that's it. Like... They've got a necklace. Joan Collins claimed that they're to blame for Robert and Simon's death. She though. claimed that. But, but the only thing that remains to be seen. The only thing we've actually seen is that they're good at marketing their symbol in fires on lawns and in and in and in pre-cut light gels and on necklaces. It's like flash marketing. Yeah, it is. It's like flash marketing. Yeah, it's like but they're, they're advertising for the movie Clo like when the Cloverfield was coming out and they had all these weird advertisements all over. Yeah. The thing is though, it's such a generic symbol. Like Zach sent me a picture of the Spotify library. The spot of, in the Spotify library, there's a symbol that looks exactly like it. And he sent me this screenshot and I didn't even know what I was supposed to be looking at. I'm like, why did he send me a screenshot just of the Spotify menu bar? But that's how generic the domino symbol is it's just rectangles it is. it's not good it's bad logo good marketing with a bad logo that just does not translate <laughs> um there's another uh, uh light that comes down on this banister they just happened to guess that ted would go to this particular spot in the hall and stand over this banister i imagine like taped marks on the yeah. floor like find your light ted mm -hmm. find your light and we're gonna be in tech all night and it says you are not alone he's definitely being taken to join scientology yeah. 
I'm 100% certain now. <laughs> a scene or two later, as he's, I guess, leaving this place, he's in some kind of parking garage. And basically, some guy who's... It, it basically reminds me of, like, uh, any deep scene with Deep Throat. Yeah, in, in any version you've seen of Deep Throat, like, some guy in a parking garage just comes out of nowhere and starts talking to him about how he's not, he has a vendetta against the family and he wants to bring down the family name. So that for all of history, people will know they stood for nothing but evil. Yes, exactly. It's very dramatic. Ted accuses this mystery figure of having killed the king. And in response, the mystery figure says, I didn't kill the king of England, but we both know that you did. <laughs> What a twist. Maybe. <laughs> um, there's no reason to believe Ted this is true. Ted does not respond. Point, but uh, No. This guy certainly Make of that true. what you will. Yeah. Make of that what you will for now, dear listener. If you don't already know, if you haven't already Googled out of sheer just can't, can't desperation yeah. to know who it is. We didn't have the luxury. Or, we watched live. We did not. We had to wait for the, the show to tell us. Hey, perhaps we're preaching, preaching to the choir. For all we know, there could be even more loyal royal fans among our listenership. Mm -hmm. Could be. Um, Unlikely, but anything <laughs> is possible. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I know of at least one. So that's about it for this episode. Um, I, don't th I can't think of anything else, can you? No, I think we pretty well covered it, which is why it's time for what was your favorite moment of this episode? You know, despite a couple of lines that didn't really, didn't really work within the scene, I think overall the scene of Helena and Eleanor and Liam smoking a joint together was kind of nice. When it worked, I felt like it worked pretty well. And so I guess I'll give it to that one just on a on a lark. I appreciate that the show at least tried to have the characters address their privilege. Yeah. Because that's what that scene really is yes. about. Eleanor and Liam talking to their mom about how, you know, we've been given all this yeah, and I, incredible luxury. I appreciate that for once they tried, maybe too little too late, but they tried to have some kind of actual relationship with their mother that wasn't purely antagonistic. Yeah, purely like, we will destroy her. <laughs> Uh, you and me versus the world. We didn't actually talk about this moment, but it was hard for me to pick a favorite moment this episode because I didn't really like this episode mm -hmm. with all of its hypersexuality. But um, there's a moment when they're, uh, Cyrus and Lucius are on the car ride back from the doctor's office to the palace, I assume. And the doctor's commentary is like, playing as a voiceover kind of the way sometimes you'll repeat something someone says over in your head like Cyrus is leaning against the window so no one can see him and he's crying as he's thinking about what the doctor said and the doctor in voiceover is saying the testicular cancer is not gone even though they took one of his testicles mm -hmm. and Cyrus is just silently crying and it's just a really striking image I think because of all the other circumstances we've seen this character in. And because I really thought that them removing one of his testicles was going to be the end of his cancer storyline. Yeah. Or at least like, at least he would recover from there. So that was interesting. Um, this one, yeah, was way more entertaining than last week. I just don't like the show's... The show is really into traditional gender roles. like, And I think it kind of it's, stuck out like a sore, th a sore thumb this week. You know, it's strange... Not only in this season, but in the last season, a lot of times 
There are episodes that are more engaging or entertaining, but they also happen to contain more just objectionable material. Like, yeah, season two, episode three is a boring episode, but I don't remember anything particularly objectionable occurring no. in it. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, I wouldn't even say I find this offensive. It's more just like it's not interesting mm-hmm. to see characters in such traditional situations, you know, play out in a way that doesn't really develop them or develop their personalities very much. Uh, I don't need every show I watch to be progressive, like far, far from it. Uh, but this just this episode didn't totally sit right with me. But who knows? Next week. We'll see. Maybe things will be better. Like I said, this is a huge step up from 2.3. Yeah. Well, almost halfway through season two already, so stick with us. Thank you so much for sticking with us, if you are listening, if you've been mm-hmm. listening this long, because we really appreciate it. Even when certain episodes are a bit of a slog, we have fun doing it, and it's always great to hear from you guys. Yep. Uh, if you have any feedback for the show, just like you hear in the end tag, you can always... Get a hold of us on Facebook, uh, the page is Stage of Fools, or on Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod, mm-hmm. or um, you can leave us a review on iTunes, which is yeah, our very favorite thing in the world. Yeah. Yes, we really, really love that because it helps spread the word to other Royals fans who might be interested in listening. All right. Well, thanks so much, guys. I think that's going to pretty much wrap us up. Yep. We'll see you next time. Uh, I'm Zach All Powers. Right. I'm Shannon Cam. Talk to you later. Bye. Visit Stage of Fools on our Twitter at Stage of Fools Pod or on our Facebook page, Stage of Fools. The Royals is property of E. Stage of Fools is produced by Darren Husted, artwork by Joshua Hollis.